time of Bible study might be a touch from God. That you might hear His voice. That He may speak to you. A couple of weeks, we're going to take and look some more at our identity in Christ. I think that this is so very, very crucial. I think it is a key to our experience as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. I think it's something that we mess up. I think it's something that we have a very, very difficult time with. There's this battle that takes place, and it's a battle that we often find ourselves on the losing end of. But it's so critical. It's so very, very critical that we get this. That's why I pray you hear from God himself this morning. He's here. He loves you. He wants to speak into your heart this morning. There's a story. It's a true story. It's about a man in Atlanta. It was about 10 years ago that he came upon some robbers, and he was beaten up, and he was found lying unconscious behind a Burger King. And they rushed him to the hospital, and after he regained consciousness, they realized that he had complete amnesia. He did not know who he was. He did not know where he was from. He knew nothing about his family. It was complete amnesia. And this went on for several weeks until the FBI got involved and began doing a Uh, took his fingerprints and tried to match his fingerprints and even DNA samples and trying to determine who this man was. And they were never, ever able to determine who he was. Even he had a nurse that brought this man into her own home and for years and years and years tried to gently and progressively bring his memory back to him, but she was unsuccessful in doing that. He even was a guest on the Dr. Phil show and uh, still was unable to regain his memory or to learn who he was. Nobody could figure out who he was. Now, imagine if that was you. Imagine if you didn't know who you were. It's a scary, scary thing. It's a scary thought. But the point this morning is this, that is exactly what our enemy, Satan, is trying to do to you in distorting and and wiping from your memory and your life your true identity. That's what he's trying to do to you. And oftentimes, he finds success in that. The reality is, is there's this spiritual battle that is taking place even now over your identity. Satan, Satan, who's real, by the way, can't create. Only God creates. Satan can only take what God creates and distort it or pervert it or destroy it. He destroys and perverts what God has created. And that's what he's trying to do with you in regard to your true identity. 
Satan can't hurt God. God is more powerful than Satan. But in trying to get at God, his MO is to hurt those that God loves. That makes sense to me. You want to get at me? Hurt those who I love. And that's what Satan tries to do. How does he do this? Especially in regard to who we are in Christ. Especially in regard to our identity. Who we truly are. He uses a number of different tools. Other people's opinions seem to matter to us very, very much. And other people will tell you who you should be, how you should be. Friends, co-workers, parents can be guilty of this. You should do this. You should change this. You should go there. You should wear that. He uses the opinion. We get these opinions in our mind and they become so valuable to us and we think that we ought to mold ourselves into the opinions of other people. Satan uses difficult times in our lives. He uses hurt and pain in your life to deceive you because he knows that if he can get you bitter, if he can get you resentful, if he can get you ashamed he can get you angry, he knows that he can get you to miss who you really are in Christ. It's hard to, to accept and walk in the truth of who you are in Christ when you're very, very bitter or you're ashamed. He uses the media and culture, right? You're inundated with messages about who you should be and what you should be like, and how you should dress, and how you should act, and what you should buy, and where you should go. It even uses celebrities to say, look at him, this is how you ought to be. Messages that we're inundated with, and it's all part of the spiritual battle that's going on about who you are and understanding who you are. Satan can put thoughts in your mind. I want you to be sure and understand, you control your thoughts. But he puts thoughts in your mind. He makes suggestions to you. You're bombarded with suggestions. Someone I read this past week says that when God puts a thought in your mind, that's inspiration. And when Satan puts a thought in your mind, that's temptation. He can put thoughts in your mind. Anybody can make suggestions that you choose to believe. What kind of thoughts would Satan put in your mind to distort your true identity? And for some to destroy your true identity. Well, he says something like this. You know what? If you're going to be accepted by God, you're going to have to earn that. There's a whole list of rules you're going to have to do. You have to earn God's acceptance. You're going to have to be good enough. 
You're going to have to go to church. You're going to have to read your Bible. You're going to have to pray or he's not going to accept you. That's the way it works. You wanted to be a part of this religion. Well, here's how it works. And there's a lot of people in this room right now who thinks that if God is going to accept me, then there are certain criteria that I'm going to have to meet. I'm going to have to earn his acceptance. There are certain things I have to do, and not only that, I have to do enough of these good things. Or he might whisper in your ear, you know what, you don't really matter. You're never going to amount to anything. You're worthless. You have no value. And he speaks these words into your mind. He might say to you, you're not worthy to be loved. As a matter of fact, I, I, I want you to believe that you can never really be loved. You're, you're unlovable. If you let somebody get close to you, they're just going to hurt you anyway. They'll disappoint you. They just want something from you. What quality is there in your life that is lovable? Why would somebody love you? Why would somebody make themselves vulnerable? Why would somebody sacrifice? The reality is, is that you're really just not lovable. Or he might say to you, I know what you did, and you would agree with me, you can never really be forgiven for that thing that you did. You can't be forgiven. And you should be ashamed of yourself. And that's the way you ought to live the rest of your life. Your life turns on that mistake that you made. Your life turns on that thing that you did. Be ashamed because you'll never be forgiven. Or he says to you, you're never going to accomplish anything. You don't, you don't have the skills. You don't have the ability. You're always just going to be average. So just, just do the best that you can. You're not really capable. You're incapable of, of getting the job done. And he whispers these thoughts into our mind. And the number one tool that he uses to rob us of our identity is that he gets you to repeat these lies over and over and over in your head. He'll plant an idea in your head, and then you just repeat it. He doesn't have to repeat it to you anymore. You've got it. It's a part of who you are. It's become your identity. It's a distorted, it's a destroyed identity of who you really are. And you begin to say these things over and over in your head. You heard it, and you believe it. It becomes your identity, but it's not your true identity. And this is more rampant than we think it is. That there is a, that there is a body of believers, that there's a lot of Christians, there is a lot of people who are in Christ, and they're walking around, and they're saying these things, I'm not acceptable, and I'll never be accepted. And I'm not loved, and I'll never be loved, and I, I have no value. I'm worthless, and I'll never be forgiven, and I'll never accomplish anything. 
And for some, it's very, very subtle. And for some, it's very, very blatant. It's very, very clear. And, and it just drags them down. But for some, and this, this subtleness of it all, it just it, it raises up in those times of decision, in those times of crisis, in those times of, of trying to understand who you are and trying to do the right thing. And it's just the subtle thing that, that you just keep saying, no, that never can happen to me. I'm not good enough for that. I don't have any value. I'm never going to be accepted. And it goes over and over and over in our mind. And he's got you. It's a spiritual battle. And it's taken place. And it takes place more often than we think that it does. Of All of these whispers, all of these ideas this, the, the, the culture, people's opinions, the, the pain and the hurt and the discomfort in our life, all of these things are against us, then how can we really know who we truly are? How do I know the true me, my true identity? How do I know who God made me to be? How can that become clear to me? As I read and researched this past couple of weeks over these, that very, very question, I found a quote from a physicist from the 17th century. Maybe you've heard of his name. His name is Blase Pascal. Blase Pascal. He was a mathematician. He was a physicist. He was a philosopher. He wrote these simple words. Listen carefully. Not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our life, the meaning of our death, the meaning of God, or the meaning of ourselves. It's only found in Christ. In Christ are important words. It's used over 140 times in the New Testament. In Christ, it's, it's describing a, a disciple, a, a follower of Jesus, a, a believer, a, a Christian. In Christ, only in Christ can we know our true selves. There's about 35 times in the New Testament that the true identity of the believer is described. 35 times in the New Testament, it talks about who you are in Christ. Now, we don't have time to go over all 35 of those, but we want to look over the next couple of weeks, today and next Sunday, at five of those things, five of the of, of your identity, of who you are in Christ. Our text this morning is the second chapter of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn there. We're going to focus on just two verses this morning. Verses 8 and verses 9. 1 Peter 2, verses 8 and 9. I want to read those to you as Ira has already, but I I'm asking the Holy Spirit to really allow us to absorb these truths this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. I'm sorry, it's verses 9 and 10. It's verses 9 and 10. Here we go. Here we go. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whether it's on your notes or whether it's in your Bible, let me get you to circle these five things. Circle chosen. Circle royal priesthood. Circle his own possession. Circle, you have received mercy. All right. Let's take these things one at a time. We'll only have time this morning to go over a couple. But this is a touch from God for you. And there are many in this room, there are many in this room who desperately need to hear this. The first thing that you need to hear is that you're accepted. You are completely and totally accepted. We all have wounds. They often come from rejection. We all remember on the playground when we were hoping that we wouldn't be picked last, right? Next to the last would be okay, but not last. And some of us were picked last, and we still remember it today. And we still remember the wound, and we still remember the pain that it causes. Friends reject you. People that you love reject you, and it causes wounds. And when we experience that in our lives, we, we try to heal those, that pain and try to heal those wounds by finding acceptance, a desire, a, 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 a going and, and trying and pursuing acceptance and trying to find acceptance will impact every single area of your life. It'll impact what you wear. It'll impact what you buy. It'll impact what kind of car you drive. It'll impact what kind of house you live in. It'll impact what kind of career that you choose to have. Because I want to be accepted. There are people, some in this room this morning, who you're in a career, and it's not the career that you're designed to be in. It's not the career you're supposed to be in. But it's the career that you were told if you would be in that career that you would be accepted. That's how, that's how viciously, that, that, that's how we pursue acceptance. It's so sad to me. Maybe the saddest part of, of pursuing acceptance is it influences our relationships. Just to be accepted. We'll hang out with people we shouldn't hang out with because we need to feel accepted. I would say to singles and, and teens here this morning, we'll date somebody that we know we shouldn't date just so that we'll feel accepted because we have this, this deep, deep need to feel accepted. 
good news is, is you don't have to chase after acceptance. Because God accepts you completely. The good news translation of that 1 Peter 2 verse simply says this, you have been chosen by God Himself. You've been chosen by God. He accepts you. There's this exclusivity to it. We don't think of it that way. But I want you to understand, He picked you out. He chose you. He knew you and He chose you. He wanted you for Himself. He accepts you totally. Peter uses these words, he gets these words from the Old Testament. It's used time and time and time again in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, I, I marked Deuteronomy 7.6. This is just one of the many times that these words are used. God is talking to His people. And He says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Listen, out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth, I've chosen you. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. God chooses you. He, he chose the Israelites. He, he chose the people of Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And, and he, he called them out and He made them His people. God does the same thing for you today. He didn't have to choose the Israelites. There, there were Egyptians He could have chosen. There were Romans He could have chosen. There were Africans He could have chosen. There were Mesopotamians He could have chosen. There was a whole bunch of people. But He chose them. And God chose you. That, that exclusive kind of thing that He knows you, He sees you, He calls you to Himself. He chooses you. That's acceptance. That's the truth about you. You are accepted. It doesn't matter if you feel that way. That's truth. That's God's Word. Well, Dale, how do you say that? And I, 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 you know, the, you showed me in the Bible where it says that, but, but how, how do I know this? A couple of things. One, God chose you before He did anything else. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, He chose you before the creation of the world. Before everything. Before He chose to create, He knew you. And He chose you before He set the sun, moon, and stars in place. Before He created this planet that we live on. Before He put the oceans in place and the plants and the animals. He knew you. God knew you. The creator of the world knew you. And He chose you before all else. You're accepted by Him. The Bible tells us, the second thing, the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 3 that He's made you acceptable. Titus 3 says, Jesus made us acceptable to God. That, that passage of Scripture goes on to say, this acceptance is a gift that He has given to those He has chosen. He made you acceptable. It is a gift from God. In other words, folks, listen. You can't earn acceptance. 
You can't earn God's acceptance. I don't believe you can earn anybody's acceptance, but we, we try to earn God's acceptance. Your acceptance is God's gift. You don't perform your way into acceptance. It's a gift. He chose you. He made you acceptable. You are accepted by God. You are completely and totally accepted by God. And it's nothing that you yourself did. That's who you are. That's your identity. And when we can embrace our identity and we can walk in that truth, we no longer have to pursue acceptance from places that we have no place being at all. We have, we, we have no reason, no need to pursue acceptance from how other people view us or what we do for a living or in a relationship with somebody because we are totally accepted by God. You're a chosen race. The Bible tells us this too. Here's a second aspect, a second fingerprint, a second part of your identity. You're extremely valuable. You have value. First Peter says, you're a, you're a holy nation. If we, if we broke that word down a little bit, we would come to understand that holy means extremely valuable. This is the holy Bible. There is a holy city, a holy people. It means valuable. What is it that makes something valuable? Well, I think that there's a few things. One of the things that I would mention to you is who owns something makes that something valuable. I'll give you an example. I get finished with my tennis shoes and I put them on eBay. You want to buy a pair of my tennis shoes? What if Michael Jordan put his tennis shoes on eBay? Be interested in buying Michael Jordan's tennis shoes? Who owns something has a tendency to determine its value. I'm owned by God. The Bible says I'm not my own. I was listening to a message of a pastor out in California who says that he is in possession of a handwritten letter that talks about the separation of church and state. The value of that handwritten letter is probably around $1 million. Why? Because it was written by, it was owned by Thomas Jefferson. Value is sometimes determined by who owns it, and you are owned by the creator of the universe. You've been bought with a price. The Bible says you are his treasured possession. Isaiah 43 says, God, that you are precious to God. So, why am I valuable to God? Well, first, because God is your father. You're God's child. 
Not everybody is God's child. Only those he has chosen. He created everybody. But those who believe are his sons and his daughters. Luke chapter 12 says, look at the birds. God feeds them. But you're far more valuable than the birds. It's your heavenly father because you're God's children and there's value in that. Why am I valuable? Because he's your father. Why am I valuable? Because Jesus gave his life for you. You must have great value if Jesus would be willing to die for you. He wouldn't die for junk. He wouldn't die for someone who's unacceptable, who's someone who can't be loved. Value depends. Listen, value depends on what someone is willing to pay for it. Any commodity, any idea. Its value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. So how much is your home really worth? Now you can have all the experts come out and do all of the analysis and tell you what your home is worth. But really, it's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's what it's worth. You could say the same thing about a baseball card. You could say the same thing about a piece of art. What about a person? What about a ransom? What would you want someone to be willing to pay for you if you were kidnapped? A very uh, familiar story to a lot of people, and this was several years ago, a daughter of an oil sheik was kidnapped. And he made it very, very clear, I will pay any amount, any price for her return. Well, of course he would. It's his daughter. And you're a child of God. The greatest ransom ever paid was paid for you. That's who you are. That's your identity. God gave His own Son to purchase you for Himself. You have great value. I am not my own. I have been purchased with a price. That's what the Bible says. My value is determined by how much was paid for me. And what was paid for me was God was willing to give His own Son so that I might be His chosen and His child. Listen, we're going to talk about this some more next week, and I hope you'll be here for that. Those of you who are in this auditorium, you know Jesus as your Savior. Do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand that you're accepted in Him and that you can't earn that acceptance? Do you understand the great value that He places on you? That's really enough for this week. That's really enough for you to walk in 
this week, to embrace this week, to remind yourself of this week. Old Satan can put a thought in your mind, you're not good enough, and you'll repeat that to yourself over and over and over again. I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And God whispers to you this morning, this is your touch from God, and He says to you, I accept you. I accept you wholly and totally. There's nothing you can do to earn it. I accept you, and I want you to know you have great, great value to me. I feed the birds. You have much, much more valuable. You're much more valuable to me than the birds. You're my child. I love you. I paid a high, high price for you. I redeemed you. I purchased you, and it cost me everything. You have great value to me. Walk in that this week. And then I would ask you to do this. Pray right now. Pray for those in this room who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that you're not here by accident. He knows you. I believe He's chosen you. I believe He's drawn you to Himself. I believe that that He would have you hear truth this morning. The truth this morning is, is is that you're a sinner just like all of us here. We're all sinners. And sin separates us from God because God is is holy. He's the most holy. And He can't be around sin and so our sin separates us from Him. And if we go to our grave without having that sin dealt with, the Bible says the wages of that sin or or the penalty for that sin is eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. But God loves you. And God calls you to Himself. And God wants to adopt you into His family. And so He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, to live a perfect life and pay the penalty for your sin. The penalty for your sin is death. And that's what the cross is all about. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, so that we could become accepted by Him, so that we could become His child. Jesus died on a cross. It's not enough just to know that. you got to receive it. you got to believe it. you got to embrace that. I'm a sinner. The wages is death. Jesus died for me on a cross. When he died, his spilt blood paid for my sin. He makes me acceptable when I believe that and make that a part of who I am. And my identity is forever changed. I want to invite you to stand. Everybody standing. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. It's the only decision you'll make that determines your eternal destiny. This is very, very, very real, folks. It's why I ask believers in this auditorium to pray. You say, Dale, I don't know him, but I want to. 
Well, it's the attitude of your heart. That's where it starts. I want to. You might pray a prayer, something like this. God, I am a sinner, but I want to be in your family. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I believe, I believe that when he died, he had me on his mind. Because he knew me before I was born. And on that cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. I believe that. I believe that with all that I am. Thank you. Save me. Walk with me. Lord, help us to get your truth this morning. Help us to walk in it. It impacts every area of our life. If you're here this morning and you've made a decision for Christ and you'd like to share that with me, I encourage you, I encourage you to do that as we worship for just a couple of minutes. I'll be here at the front and I invite you to come and share with me the decision that you've made. Arthur, lead us if you would.